Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. About nine months ago, she sent me an email stating that she was going to be cutting me out of her life, which she did. I've reached out to my children on various occasions, including the death of their grandmother, and there's been no response. I've not spoken to my dad in two years and haven't seen my mom since last year. Do you have any suggestions on what I can do to repair our relationships? A broken relationship between a parent and adult child is a painful reality for far too many families today. And sometimes those relational challenges lead to estrangement where there's very little or even no communication anymore. Today on Focus on the Family, we're going to be exploring those kinds of tough situations, and our guest is psychologist Dr. John Townsend. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, every family has to deal with differences and difficulties uh, because we're fallen people. I mean, we don't live perfectly, and therefore we create chaos in some way. Um, Some create more chaos (laughs) than others. But one of the top calls we receive here in our counseling team comes from parents of adult children. It's a growing category for us where these relationships are broken for one reason or another. Uh, But you can apply it to, you know, every relationship that you have in marriage, in relationships with your adult children, probably your teenagers, too. Uh, The point is we hear often about uh, feelings of resentment, sadness, anger, grief between the parents and their children, and it's heartbreaking because it makes life uh, feel so much heavier. And today we're going to focus on uh, giving attention specifically to those areas of relationship. And I think, again, these principles are going to apply in every direction. Uh, Let me say this. God has created the family as the key social unit. You know, Mm. this is an institution not created by government or by man. It's created by God. Mm. And that's why we at Focus on the Family defend it vigorously, because Mm. we believe this is the beginning. This is where you learn as a child those moral values, those principles about God, and then how to treat others. And we have a wonderful guest today who's going to help us do that even better. Yeah, Dr. John Townsend is a nationally known leadership consultant, psychologist, and best-selling author, and uh, he's the founder of the Townsend Institute for Leadership and Counseling. Uh, He and his wife have two adult children, and he's written a number of books, including uh, the one we'll talk about today, uh, called Boundaries. It's a best-selling book that he co-wrote with Dr. Henry Cloud. John, welcome back to Focus. Thanks, guys. Let, let's um, move to the estrangement issue and what we set the program up to talk about. Um, uh, this conflict between parents and their adult children. Uh, I mentioned that Focus, we're getting a lot more uh, response with people that are experiencing that. Mm-hmm. Um Are you hearing the same, and why do you think the intensity of that relationship breakage between parent and the 20-something child is happening? Yeah, I I am hearing and seeing a lot of it, Jim, and I think there's a reason for it is that, you know, God created us to be people who were full of grace and truth like he is, like it talks about in Ephesians, and that means to be able to connect but also to be able to talk directly when you need someone without freaking everybody out. We're supposed to be loving people, but truthing people. But there's been some family breakdown over the last 30 years where a lot of times the parents don't feel like they should do that. That might be a mean thing. I want to keep the self-esteem good and all that. And so they've sort of like shied away from hard truths with their children. 
now we've got a culture that's kind of the same way, that uh. if you say something that you disagree with, um, you're out of my life. So the 25-year-olds, get they had a background maybe where there wasn't a lot of truth and love. We call it integration in, my, in the clinical world. They weren't Truth and love weren't integrated. So maybe their background wasn't very much mm. that way. And also the culture is saying, yeah, write anybody off that you disagree with instead of let's have a talk about it. That skill is no longer present like it used to be. Yeah, which is so sad because that's how conflict gets taken care of, right? Absolutely. And, and it's the only way. Dealt with. Uh, you speak to that issue. Um, you do a lot of counseling with people. Uh, describe that person and the why how you could have this disconnect, this estrangement between you and your adult child. And it's kind of like that saying, when you keep hitting your head up against the same problem and you deal with it in the same way and you get the same result, which isn't where you want to be. Definition of insanity. Right. Why, why do we do that as God's creatures? I mean, why aren't we learning from those mistakes? Jim, I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One of them is a thing that we call in the clinical world defensive hope. And defensive hope says, if it's first you don't succeed, try, try again. In other words, right. there are some times where doing the same thing several times, you know, beating a nail into the wall can help. And so we do that. But then we take it to an extreme thinking, well, it's just not loud enough. I'll tell them a million times. Mm -hmm. And then the, the adult child just alienates more. The other is because I think that they feel um, a bit helpless. You're like, I've got no other skill here. And I feel like I'm going to, even if it threatens to alienate you, I want you back so bad. I'll even do the wrong thing because that's better than doing nothing because mm -hmm. the helplessness for an adult parent is so sad because this is the person I love the most. Yeah. And that that's the thing. I mean, when you care about that person so much and you see, I and guess. You, that, and you can't reach them. It's so hard to be a parent and you can't reach them anymore. Well, and maybe that's a good question. Describe what has been the precedent there that has allowed this relationship to become so sour. Hmm. And you get to that point where nothing's working now. You have heard all of it, I would think. Mm -hmm. So what happened 10 years before that and eight years before that and five years before that? Yeah, and it's always a combination <clears throat> in varying ratios between what I did as a parent and what my adult child did, right, from 10 years ago. What's their part and what's my part? It's mm -hmm. never 100%, very, very rarely. It's 100% anything. So a lot of times on the parent's part is, Either when it was time to discipline little Sammy, I didn't do it at all because I didn't want to make him feel bad. And then that means hard talks later, they don't have the ability. Or I came on too hard with Sammy, and I disciplined, you know, the punishment didn't fit the crime. And I was way, way too strict with him, and he's alienated. So that's kind of me on the parent part. And on Sammy's part, it's like, okay— I didn't get perfect parenting, but I don't want to forgive, and it's a lot easier to blow them off. And here I am also developmentally in the launching stages. You know, the Bible says in Genesis 2 about leaving and cleaving. Here I'm in the leaving and cleaving stages. My mom and dad aren't the center of my life anymore. And right. right. They're just not. I'm laughing because I'm living it. Right. And so I'm, <laughs> they're kind of like oatmeal to me. It's just not interesting anymore. I've got all these friends and things I want to do and I want to travel. So I've got that pressure in my head, plus we're kind of like, at odds at some issue, it's way too much brain damage for me to try to go in about and have the hard talks. I'll just live my life. So they've got that launching energy saying, it's just too much trouble. No, it's so true. Mm -hmm. uh, the one thing, too, and I think this would be the most common issue, is, you know, when we're raising our kids in the single digits, they're five, eight, nine, there's a lot of control. You know, don't run out there. Don't light that on fire. Don't mm -hmm. we're, we're dictating behavior, right? Don't do this. Don't do that. 
And then they get into the teen years and they're trying to express themselves and become more independent in their choices, et cetera. And we're still using controlling younger uh, parenting approaches that inflame that situation. So describe that controlling parent, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I think it's really clear to say that the way you phrase it, what it, the way I look at it, Jim, is I call the years 1 to 11-ish, maybe 12, as the, you know, really control parent years. And, then, and that's a good thing. And that's a good thing because yeah. they don't know the rules of life. Their brain isn't formed. They need to know, don't run out in the street. And if you do, I'm going to pull you back, right? Right. But then the other years are what I would call the more gentler de-parenting years. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you choices now, not every choice, but I'm going to let you, you know, start to think about values and consequences because I'm looking at the launch you're on leaving and cleaving launch. So I parent with more control first half, the de-parenting with less control. And then by that time, they know who they are. They know who God is. They know what their skills of life are. Yeah. And it's so critical. I would think that's probably one of the greatest parenting errors that we make. Yes. And that's that's a good thing for us to describe. Mm-hmm. The other thing there is then we hit those teenage years. And because we don't know how to de-escalate or de-control, as you're mm-hmm. saying, we can tend to then manipulate. Mm-hmm. And boy, teenagers... They have a nose for they parental can, manipulation, don't they? Mile oh, away. so when did you shower last? <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to take a shower? It feels so good. I'm guilty of that with two boys. I mean, it was half of my and, and we really, and we really think that the child's going to go. Great idea. I hadn't yeah. thought of that. Thanks. Bingo. Wham. Right between the eyes. You know, Dad, it's time. Thanks for the reminder. I didn't usually get that response. Yeah. But what about that manipulation and how dangerous that can be as a parent? Uh, I think it's actually worse than direct control. Hmm. It's not as bad as abuse. Nothing's as bad as abuse. But in terms of direct control versus manipulation, because if you're directly controlling, the child can say, well, you're too harsh or not harsh enough, but I know where you are. I can trust you because you're this solid object saying you'll be in time out for this. (laughs) The manipulation, my favorite is when the mom says, do you know how long I was in labor with you? <laughs> I've never heard that before. Aren't you? Now you, but you want to go out with your friends again, and not, you know, it's just. My wife actually had a friend say that uh, it was a very effective uh, tactic with her child to say, "I gave birth to you. I can tell you what to do." And I, at some point in time, that doesn't really work. Are you third party people here. The classic is, "I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of it." Yeah, there's well, a good one. All that stuff, but yeah. but in terms of manipulation. Then the child goes, oh, I can't trust you. Hmm. You're going to game me, and I don't feel like you're going to be honest with me. Direct control, you can say you're crazy or not crazy, but they trust. Manipulation, they go, how do I know what you say is for my benefit? So it's it's yeah. a bad thing, as you said. But I guess the flip side of that is then how does that adult child, again, let's just picture a 24-year-old whose parent is manipulative or controlling, how do they self-assess? How do they protect themselves? Let's speak to the other side of it, not just the parent's side. What what mechanisms do they have to minimize the impact of that manipulation? Yeah, suppose you're listening to the program and you're thinking, well, I'm that age and my parents have been doing that to me. The best approach is to go to them with love and honor and say, I want to make things better. You know, you see all the Boy, way through good. the Bible when it talks about, you know, you know, speak the truth in love and this sort of thing, confront your brother or sister, to go to them and say, you know, thank you for what you've done for me, but 
there's some things that don't make it better. I always start off positive. It's not as good as it could be. Could we communicate in a different way? And here could be my part. And a lot of people, then their defenses will go down because you're not saying you're the person at fault. You're just saying this is the ground's all level at the cross here. Here's what I've been doing that's crazy. Here's what you're doing. and I want to make it better. It's really hard to say no to that invitation. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Jennifer had a lot of anger from her past, and unfortunately, she was passing that on to her kids, but she found something better. Focus on the Family gave me the tools that I needed to nurture my children rather than breaking their spirits, because growing up, that's all I knew. I'm Jim Daly. This season, help us give families hope. And when you give today, your donation will be doubled. Donate at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash family. Just like a warm fireplace when it's cold outside, the joy of the Christmas season gives comfort. I'm John Fuller, and Focus on the Family is excited to let you know about our Christmas Stories podcast. Each episode brings heartwarming conversations to bring your family closer together and remind you of the hope we have in Jesus. You can enjoy that podcast at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Christmas Stories. Hear past shows and the brand new Season 5 at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Christmas Stories. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. John, let me play a clip um, that is from a mom who has struggled in her relationship with her daughter and have you respond. Hi, Dr. Townsend. Um, I have a question for you. Um, In the past, I have been divorced and there's been a lack of communication within the family. And so um, I have an estranged daughter, an adult daughter, who um, can't seem to find a way to forgive me. So my question is, there's just, how can I get that trust back and for her to find grace and mercy within herself for me? First off, my heart just sank when I heard her story. And it's one that I hear way too much. I'm sure y'all hear way too much, too, where a parent is... In those years where you want to enjoy the relationship and you're growing up and flourishing and finding your own way, she doesn't have that. And all these years seem gone. Um, I built a structure for situations like that. And um, it's pretty simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Mm-hmm. And when she said, well, how do I get her to trust me? There's a step you've got to do before trust. And it has to do with building a bridge. This is how you build a bridge. In whatever way, when you've got an adult child who's estranged, whatever way they get communication, phone call, text, snail mail, you know, Zoom or having lunch, and if they'll meet you in any way, you send them that communication and you say something like the following. I'm so sorry about where things are and about how you feel about our relationship, and I miss you, and I would like for us to be connected again. And I want um, to be sure that I know what I've done to hurt you. So I'd like to propose this. I'd like for us to meet, phone, Zoom, in person. And I want you to tell me everything in your experience I've done to hurt or alienate you. And I'm just going to be sitting there with a legal pad and a pen, and I'm going to write down everything you say. And you can take as long as you need to, because if it's a lot, I want to know a lot. And one thing I promise you is I'm not going to interrupt you and say, well, you misunderstood that part, or, well, I was having a hard time, or, well, how about the things you did? I promise I won't do any of those things. I might say things like, how did that feel? Or, tell me more. 
or is there more information? But I want to hear from your heart what your experience is of the hurts I caused you. And then I'm going to take that, and I'm going to go home, and you're going to go home. And I want to sit down and pray and write and think through. And everything you've narrated that I've done that's true, I'm going to change it. And I'm going to change it by the time we meet again, if you'll give me a second meeting. And in that second meeting, I'm going to show you how I've changed, and I'm going to stay changed. And that is all I ask of you. And that's because you're worth that to me. Is that something you would be interested in? Mm. What I have found with this approach is that if there's any hope at all, that's the one, is that they feel like you're not done to change me. You're not saying, well, here's my side of it. Here's your side of it. You do have a side, and that comes later. Once mm. you've built the bridge and you've taken a few hits and, and you've repented some things, that comes later. That's fine. But it's not your day because you're the grown-up. And they say they've never asked me how it felt or they've always interrupted or they've always made excuses, and then they really want to know. It's the best chance you've got. Yeah. And John, that I mean, it sounds so tender and so right. And the, being the parent swallowing resolution for yourself and absorbing how you can repair the relationship is a great first, second, third step. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully eventually you can get to some of the things that may have hurt you. I, I love that. Speaking of first, second, second, third, it does sound a lot like what Jesus said about the first, second, and third mile. You're going, you're yeah. going the, the way the grown-up should go. Right. That's so true. But we also need to cover that. Um, that parent that, you know, they haven't perhaps done things that are egregious, mm-hmm. yet their child is, their adult child is in some serious trouble. Mm-hmm. It could be drugs. It could be promiscuous relationships or whatever it might be. I would think that that situation might be a little different when there's harm, self-harm occurring. How does a parent engage that adult child in that discussion without damaging or severely damaging the relationship? Yeah, it's one of those kind of no-win situations in a way, Jim, because you think about parent, that means I've got a certain amount of leverage and control, but I'm a parent of this person who is also an adult. Right. So authority, I'm your dad, I'm your mom, that's kind of out the window now. Right. I'm just this older person that you've got a history with that I hope that you love. You know, yeah, right. That's all I got. And so the leverage has to move from, well, I'm the dad or the mom, to influence, right. and influence a relationship. So let's suppose you've got somebody out of the home, for example. There's out of the home problems and there's in the home problems, mm-hmm. depending on where the, you know, the, the young adult is. Out of the home, and you see them, like you said, maybe they're on drugs, or maybe they're um, acting a promiscuous lifestyle, or lots of other things. Um, the best approach you've got is to certainly meet with them, because we all have a responsibility. I mean, it, it's not just the responsibility as a parent. It's also the responsibility as a Christian who loves somebody, and all the passages there apply. And you go to them and say, I always say, you have to have a dedicated talk. You don't do it while you're watching Netflix or rock climbing. Right, you got to look at each other in the eye. You have to look at each other, and, and you say, so you set it up. I believe in setting it up. And you say, um, I'd like to have a meeting with you about some things. Well, what are they going to be about? Well, it's just about making things better between us, and I'd like to go into it. By the way, I'm going to take the principles from a book that Henry Cloud and I wrote called um, How to Have That Difficult Conversation You've Been Avoiding, because mm-hmm. it's about a difficult conversation. Correct. Yeah. And so... You go to them and you say, um, first off, you know, you visit, how's life? But then you say, let me tell you why we're meeting, and, and thank you for being here. And by the way, and I always start with this, and by the way, if I ever do anything to alienate you, upset you, make you feel not good or whatever, I would want 
you to tell me, or do you feel free to tell me? And most of the time the adult child will say, sure I do. And that's good. So they know that this is a no one-way thing. I want to know what I'm doing wrong. Well, here's some things I want to talk about that concern me. One is your ex. And first off, I want to know the why. I'm interested in you. So mm-hmm. before I tell them to change, I want to know the why. Why are you taking drugs? Why don't you get a job? Why are you promiscuous? That's going to take a while because they have lots of reasons. They probably thought it through, Christian or not christian they're all over the map these days. But you listen well and don't take an opinion. You just want to understand. Mm-hmm. I want to get to the why. And then once they get to it, they say, thank you, do I get it? And you have to make sure they say you got it. They say, no, you didn't get it. You keep preaching at me. Okay, let me try it again. Sounds like you do it because you don't think there's anything wrong and it makes your life better and you're under stress. Do I get it? Yeah, you get it. When they say you get it, you got permission to say the following. Can I give you my perspective on that? Mm-hmm. Not to be a controlling person, but I owe you that perspective. One out of a hundred will say no. But the rest of them will say, you kind of earned it. You sat here and listened to me talk. And here's my perspective. And you do your homework before you do that. You mm-hmm. find out what the Bible says. You find out what good psychology says. You find out what reality says. Get statistics if you need to. I'm concerned about your life, and I love you, and I'm looking at down the corridors of time over the you that you're going to become at 30, 35, 40, and here's what it says, and I don't want that for you. I don't think it's good for you. It's not just because it's a right or wrong, certainly that, but there's also bad consequences and fruit for your life, and I would like for you to, to think about it. And then you say, regardless, I'm your dad and your, or I'm your mom, and I want to be friends with you, and I'd love to have other dialogue if you'd like to. Yeah. That's your best first approach. Yeah, that's mm. good. And relationally driven, which is good. Respectful. And, me... and outcome driven. Yeah. So they're thinking about time. And John, in that scenario, after that conversation, as the parent, you have to walk away and not worry if they change or not. That's not easy. Well, you can worry. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I you got to let go that, of controlling that. we have to that. do. Yeah. yeah. We have to walk away knowing that they may say, oh, my crazy mom, oh, my crazy dad, that's just who they are. I'm going to go back to my ways, and you have to walk away from that. And whenever people tell me that, and I feel it too, I always say the following. Yeah, you know how God feels. Yeah, right. He tells you the truth. He does everything he can for you. He makes it winsome, and then he walks away and says, hope you make the right choice. Choose you this day, as it says in Joshua. It's so hard. But he goes through it every day. Yeah. John, let me, uh, I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. I'm thinking of the parent of a teenager right now. Speak to the importance and the application of healthy boundaries in that time so that your kids can learn the right thing. Speak to that. Yeah. A little more while they're sort of in wet cement in their brains. And it's not hardened yet. Because in those years, you know, if you look at the neuroscience, they kind of don't know who they are and... And um, they know a lot more of what they don't want, which is controlling parents, than what they really do want. That And it's sort of a, a developmental, sort of a sloshy time for them. So when I wrote Boundaries of the Teens, I gave four steps for the parent, no matter what the problem is. If it's anything from disrespect to eye-rolling to drugs to, uh, you know, acting out to violence to little things and big things, there's four steps that you have to take that really work. Um, the first one is called love. Well, that's kind of a obvious one. You have to convey that you love and care for someone and convey that you love them on their terms. And that means listening, that you care. Because mm-hmm. you can't tell them the rest of the stuff until they know that you do. Second one is past love is truth. And truth means here's our house rules. 
in the Smith house, we don't do drugs. In the Smith house, we don't do promiscuous sex. We don't do disrespect to your parents. You can disagree with your parents, but slamming doors and this sort of thing, whatever it is, that's in our house rules. And sometimes I have parents kind of write them on the fridge. I'm a big believer in the writing on the fridge thing that we've been doing 30 years. So there won't be any misunderstanding because teenagers are kind of attorneys. They'll say, well, you didn't put a comma <laughs> there, right? <laughs> so it's, it's up there. So you got the love. Now they're the house rules, and, the, and, the, and you also know the consequences. If you don't do this, if you do do these things, we're all happy. Good grades, and you're behaving well. If you don't do things, you learn these privileges. And you make sure the consequences fit the crime. Things that are important to them, whatever the things are that you're taking away, a lot of times it's easy because the social stuff and the digital stuff they are addicted to. Yeah. So you take that away, and that's a big deal after a couple of times. The third one's the hard one for Christian parents. And it's a thing called freedom, meaning... You can disobey these if you choose. You can break. I can't like, monitor you with a you know with a nightstick around the house at night. You can break out and go do stuff, and you can do these things. I won't stop you. Now, at three year old, you got to stop them. Mm -hmm. you, you pull them out of traffic yeah, safety right. issues. But at fourteen, fifteen, I just can't monitor all the time. So you're free to do this. And Christian parents go, "What are you talking about?" I say, "Well, hold on to my system here. Here's the fourth one. The fourth one is." reality. We will give you the reality of the consequences. I will follow up. I'm not just going to threaten the neck. I'll follow up with taking away the phone, anything digital, the car keys, social or whatever, and you follow up. And that's their training. So if you do the four steps, love, truth, freedom, and reality, you've got your best shot. Yeah, and that is good advice, John. And this has been so good. This is day one. We want to come back tomorrow, if you're willing continue the discussion and actually give parents even more hope that uh, it's not lost. <laughs> we just need to apply the right principles. And if we can remember that inside the heart of every teenager and adult child, there's still a part that says, I want the relationship. It may be so far inside they don't have access to it, mm. but that voice is still saying at some point under all the rebellion and all the hatred and all the, they don't get me. I still want them, yeah. and we have to capitalize on that. Them. And that is such a good reminder and an encouragement, really. And uh, to the listener, let me encourage you to get a copy of Boundaries. These are tried and true principles that Dr. John Townsend has identified, and they're biblically rooted and uh, supported by science. I mean, you can't get any better than that. If you can make a gift of any amount, we'll send the book as our way of saying thank you. And right now... Uh, we do have a year-end match. So when you make that contribution, you not only get the book, but you'll also double the impact because of uh, friends to focus on the family wanting to supercharge the end-of-the-year giving for our budget, which is fun. Uh, be part of the ministry. Yeah, join the support team today. Make a monthly pledge if you can or a one-time gift, and uh, we'll send a copy of that book, Boundaries, to you. Our number is 800, the letter A and the word family, 800-232-6459 or donate online at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. John, again, it's been great having you here with us. Let's come back and keep, keep talking. Sure. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back next time as we once more talk to Dr. John Townsend and help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Look, we've had these talks about values or money or if I'm right or whatever, and 
I want to kind of put it to bed and say either I'm going to change my opinion here or you change your opinion here or we lovingly agree to disagree and have a great game of pickleball. There's, <laughs> there's room for that for adults. Dr. John Townsend is back with us for a second day on Focus on the Family, offering words of wisdom and insight about estrangement between parents and their adult children. Now, you may need to hear this discussion now more than ever before, and we're glad you're with us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Uh, John, we spoke last time about some of the contributing factors in the strained relationship between parents and adult children, and why healthy boundaries are so critical in families and other relationships. This is a deeply felt need. In fact, one of the top issues that our counselors are hearing about every day. Uh, last time we talked about control and manipulation and irresponsibility, uh, some of the sin that causes families to fight or stop talking altogether. Today, we'll go deeper into the topic and look for godly solutions and healing for those broken relationships. So stay with us. Yeah, and Dr. John Townsend is a well-known psychologist, author, and speaker, and along with Dr. Henry Cloud, wrote the best-selling book, Boundaries, which has now been updated and expanded. John is the founder of the Townsend Institute for Leadership and Counseling. Uh, He and his wife have two adult children. John, welcome back to Focus on the Family. Thanks. Hey, uh, we touched on it yesterday uh, that setting a firm boundary with an adult child or parent is necessary for spiritual and emotional well-being. Uh, but why is it hard <laughs> for for us to set those boundaries? I mean, what's working against us? It's logical. It makes sense. And it's so hard to do. It is so hard to do and has nothing to do with logic and making sense. Mm. There are three reasons that we who have adult children, or just anybody, have a hard time with boundaries. The first one is because of the risk of loss of relationship, that somebody will say, I'm taking my ball and going home from this relationship, and they'll distance from you, they'll shut down, they'll do what uh, the Gottman's, uh, the marital researchers call stonewalling. I don't want my friends and the people I love and my kids and my family to withdraw from me. So we say, I'll just wait another day, or I'll I'll pick my battles, or my favorite is I'll kick the can down the road thinking it'll get better, and it never does. But the first one is loss of relationship. Mm. The second one is um, fear of conflict. You know, a lot of us aren't built and got good training in conflict. Now, I always tell people, think about when you were a kid at seven years old on Sunday night at the Sunday dinner. What did you learn about conflict? What were the rules you learned? <laughs> they probably weren't very healthy rules, but there were some rules. What did you guys learn yourselves? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Blow up and express and then walk away. There you go. There's it's all better. Th- there's a rule. Yeah. Eat fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the youngest. I got to go. <laughs> Those are rules. Yeah. And, and so most people didn't get great rules about that. And so so they get really afraid that what do I do with their anger? I'm going to feel bad. Are they going to escalate at me? So we get afraid of loss of love and relationship. We get afraid of conflict. The third one, though, is we get afraid of our guilt. You know, we don't want to hurt people. And I think about my adult child, and if I say this to them, are they going to feel bad about themselves? Is it going to affect their self-image? Will it discourage them? Will it damage them in some way? So you have to work through those three fears to have good boundaries. And I guess the natural follow-up is why is it worth it to set those boundaries? What's the payoff? Yeah, only the child's future. That's all you got. Wow. And I mean that and not in a funny way. Is when you look at the research, longitudinal studies, I studied a lot of research, the longitudinal studies of parenting about, you know, if parenting is the oven that produces this thing called an adult, 
over time, they measured, you know, now that somebody's in their 20s and they're autonomous on their own and all that, what were the factors that made them that way? They call it the meta-studies, studies of studies. Right. Always came into two factors. One was uh, warmth. Did you get down on their level? Did you mm-hmm. listen? Did you love? Did you kind of like connect with them, warmth and relationship? And the second was appropriate strictness, appropriate strictness, mm-hmm. that there's got to be structure. There's got to be rules. There's got to be appropriate consequences. And that's if you want your house to be baking a thing called a good human, you have to have those in place. And so when people say, well, is it worth it? I say, yeah, only the, the future of your adult child is worth it. In that regard, John, I mean, the idea of, I guess, legalistic parenting, if mm. I could label it that, where maybe it's in the right direction, but it's just taken too far. Oh, too harsh. Too harsh. I Overreacting mean, and that To kind of, everything. Yeah. You know, the, the mountain out of a molehill kind mm. of thing. Another metaphor people might use is pick your battles wisely. Mm-hmm. Um, speak to that intuitive line as a parent, not to be just about the rules and then create lots of rules. Knowing when it's okay for the child to, to, you know, be okay. Yeah. I have some principles that really help them to think through that because it's so varied these days. One is what would you have wanted? You know, Jesus' law of empathy, you know, treated others as you like to be treated. Think about what you would have wanted in your mid-20s and how would you like to be treated by your parents back in the day and what would have worked? The law of empathy helps a lot. Jesus' law of empathy of treat others that way. Yeah. The second thing is, um, is it a one-time event or is it a pattern? Now, I don't think we should do boundaries from one-time events unless it's like a robbing a bank or something. Mm. Because there's a, a passage in the Bible in Proverbs that says, it is a glory to a person to overlook an offense. Mm. Well, offense is one time. In my book, a pattern's three times, so not after a one-timer. So keep that in mind. But the third thing is, with a boundary, there's got to be a consequence, and if the consequence is going to matter, it's got to be either they're losing something they want or they're gaining something that they don't like. Now, if the kids are at home, then you've got to clean up the dog poop all next week because your sister was going to do it. That's getting something they want. Or losing something they love would be social media. With your adult children, you don't have a lot of that because you don't have the leverage, especially living on their own. So that's when it changes from, I can do a lot of consequences with you, to relationship, relationship, relationship. Mm. And and in regards to that uh, essence of relationship being the key, I have seen some parents that actually withdraw the relationship because they've done what you've talked about. They've set up, uh, Dr. Townsend, the boundaries, and it hasn't worked with their adult child, and they don't have that leverage. And so they just feel like, okay, well, I'm not going to have a relationship with you because I think what the child hears is because you're not pleasing enough to me. That's what the child experiences. And often, John, it's not the intent of the parent. I think that they just feel helpless. Mm. And what I tell those parents is this is when you, you do have the hard talk and you say, we're going to agree to disagree, I guess, about sex or uh, work ethic or, you know, bad behavior or whatever. We'll agree to disagree, but I want to enjoy all the rest of the relationship with you. And I want to be there as much as I can. So you know that I'm different from you, and I'm not going to preach at you. I've told you clearly. I've told you what I thought about it, and I'm always praying for you. And if you ever want to talk about it, that's great. But there's so many other things in our life to talk about that I want to connect with you on. Mm. And, John, you're really getting back to the control factor, it sounds like, that we covered last time. That The parents of adult children, again, this is your 25-year-old son or daughter or 30-year-old son or daughter, 
you don't have that leverage. You're no longer the parent in that context of them living at home with you. You can control their environment. You can control certain aspects of their lives. This, This is now transitioning. I think a helpful thing for us to hear and I'm living it right now. I've got 21-year-old and 19-year-old. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are those mental things that we as the parent need to do to treat this differently and to really act on that different thinking? Yeah. The first one is there is a type of leverage, I think, and it's the leverage of love. Mm-hmm. There's tremendous mm-hmm. power in not just saying I love you but asking reaching into their heart and asking how life was, how's work going, how's dating going, how's your friends, how do you feel about things? And, of course, the adult child's going to say, I don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But there's a part that wants to know it. And just to keep asking good questions about what's it like, how's it feel. And sooner or later they go, they really don't want to preach to me. So the leverage of love that they really get me is very powerful to them to think, maybe I need to open them up to other ways. The second one Yes, I do believe there are boundaries we can set within the confines of what we own. You know, Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, says, you know, there's the fruit of self-control. It never says other control. Interesting. It's (laughs) self-control. So I can't control what they're doing in their homes and in their lives. But if they're in my house, like so many people are living home for whatever reasons, I can say, look, you don't have to believe what I believe or agree with what I agree with, but this is my home. So there's going to be behavior that's required. And these are my house rules. And um, I'd like for you to respect those. And those you can say, and I think it's good for them and good for us. So those are boundaries because that's our self-control part. Well, I appreciate that, John, because that, I mean, again, I'm living it. So it's good to experience these things. I love Trent the other night said to me, he goes, Dad, what I really appreciate right now is I'm thinking of us developing our friendship for the rest of our lives. Wow, and I thought, I thought, yeah. wow, that's perfect. Something's going right. You know there. that that that's what he's looking forward to, and frankly, that's what I'm looking forward to, because yeah. it's hard work to parent. It's a little easier to be the friend. I tell parents, when are you going to retire? <laughs> and maybe it'd be fun. Like wow. I've retired from my functions with my children. They're out. They're on their own, and I told them that I said now. Come to me for advice, but I'm not going to go to you and say, here's your advice for the day. I'm done with that because you are an adult. Yeah. But I want to be a loving friend who has some wisdom, hopefully, that you would go to, and that we have an incredible history behind us. But that's what I want to be for, with you. Yeah. And we pulled that off. And it's really healthy. And it, it is fun. It's that's fun. the thing. If you can enjoy each other in that context, not trying to manipulate or control each other. Yeah. Then it's fun. Let me move to bigger, uh, kind of broader family dynamics. Uh, you have something that you call triangulation. I started laughing when I was reading this early this morning, actually, and I was talking to my wife, Jean, about it. Because it's such a normal, not healthy, but normal dynamic. And this triangulation where sibling A talks to sibling C about sibling B. Yeah. <laughs> it gets complicated, it. doesn't it? Well, it is, but it, it's so typical. Of what we do as human beings. And it's unfortunately so destructive and divisive. The way God created the communication was if you love someone, and if you see it, say it, right? And if somebody bothers you, you're supposed to go to them. Go to your brother or your sister. And triangulation is the opposite. (laughs) A made you upset, so instead of going to A, you're B. You go to C and say, can you believe what they did? Pray for them because they are just a (laughs) lunatic. And so A never gets the benefit of the feedback so they can change their behavior. And C's sitting there just thinking, what am I, like a dumpster for everything you don't like in life? And 
It gets better when C disappoints B. And guess what B does? You calls A. Nope. <laughs> Calls D. Oh, D. Oh. And, <laughs> and says, you know, I'm so unlucky. You know, A disappointed me, and then C did too. And and I hope you want. And they go through life. It's like church hopping. You know, right? All. Right. No, it's true. And and I always tell people, you know, this is called triangulation clinically. The Bible would call it gossip, and it's never good for anybody. Okay, so the right question is, how do you break that cycle? Uh, those four siblings, A, B, C, D, what do you do? Hey, time out. I want to call a family meeting. Let's get this out on the table. Yes. Is yes. that the right thing to do? Yeah, in leadership circles, it's called positive disruption. And if you see that in your family, then you just tell them, not all at one time, because they're going to do whatever they do. You say, and I go to the one that does it the most, that kind of start everything and say, I understand they hurt your feelings, but I need to know why you don't go to them because this is kind of cutting everybody up here. Mm. And they'll have a bunch of excuses and say, I'd like to request that, and I'll, I'll moderate it or I'll get a counselor for you or whatever, but I want you to go to them. Now, if they're an adult child, they can certainly say no, but you gave them the option. Mm. You know, in the work circles, like in business, you can say, you need to talk to that person or something happens in HR, but you don't have the authority. And so in relationship with adults, you just say, it's not good for us to be together. We're not having fun and people don't feel trusting. And can you kind of be the person that breaks that chain? Mm -hmm. And you go to the person that uses that tool the most. Yeah, that's kind of humorous, actually, to think of a family review. <laughs> you know, Pretty much. You're going to be written up <laughs> yeah. if you don't straighten out. That doesn't work so well in the family HR department. But don't do it a group. Yeah. Until everybody has gotten the skill, don't do a group because it can be chaos. Yeah. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Friends of Focus on the Family, give families hope this Christmas with a gift of appreciated stock. By donating appreciated stock, you create tax savings while turning resources into help for hurting families. And you'll also receive a tax deduction on the fair market value of your gift. Let our team help you make the most of your giving. To learn more, visit GiveFamiliesHope.com. That's GiveFamiliesHope.com. I was convinced that nothing could change what was going on in our marriage, and I didn't want to try anymore. But my commitment to God helped me try one more time. We went to a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, and it was life-changing. The counselors created the safest environment we could imagine, so that let us really talk. We're on a much different course now, and I believe we received a miracle that week. Receive your free consultation at HopeRestored.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. John, um, I want to touch on forgiveness because that's critical, obviously. Yeah. It's, a, it's the way we human beings reconcile things. Uh, but as Christians, we are called to forgive. Uh, how do we forgive our family member who has so deeply wounded us? What, what does that functionally look like? Um, some people bury it. I, tend to, I think I can tend to be that person. Mm. Yeah, I've forgiven them, but I don't know that I really have. I just, yeah, whatever. That's really common, Jim. And what we found out is that we always think, yeah, it's just a cognitive, intellectual, rational process. I'm canceling the debt, which is what the Bible says, the definition is, I'm canceling the debt. But if we don't bring the emotions and the hurt in there, 
it's half the thing. You know, God gave us with that left brain, which is the rational, intellectual, feedback-driven, mm-hmm. data-driven part. And then there's that emotional, relational part on the right side. And so that's why now the smart people have come up with stages for this. The first one is to identify that I've been hurt and let yourself feel it. You know, you, uh, you abused me or you left me or you judged me or you dismissed me. And that hurt as opposed to, well, that was wrong biblically. No, that's kind of more intellectual. It hurt. And that's why it sometimes takes a person to help you draw that out. But the second thing is you go through protest. It, well, it was wrong. It was not okay. And you don't say something was right, right when it was wrong. So you get your day in court. The third thing is you look at your part. Did I have a part to play in this? Now, most of the time there's something I did too. If you're driving along and somebody T-boned you in a car, that never was your fault. Most of the time, what did I do? And you just got to say, you know, did I contribute? Was that ha- did I have a bad attitude or whatever? But then the next thing is you move into the actual stage of what they call the grief process is I'm sad. I'm sad because I got hurt, and now we don't have a relationship, and I want to get it back. And grief is very essential to forgiveness, allowing ourselves to grieve. Mm-hmm. And to grieve what happened in the past and making a commitment to do better in the future. I don't know that we, and again, maybe I'm just projecting my own experience. I don't know that we grieve well, that we're, we know we're how to grieve. We're awful. Yeah. And, and yet it says in Isaiah that it says that we have a Savior who was well acquainted with grief. So if the leader of leaders and the model of modelers said he was well acquainted, meaning he embraced grief, we need to learn that. Yeah. It's just hard to go there. Well, most people, it's because we feel weak and we don't like to feel weak. And others, because all of us like energy and movement. I like to get things done. You like to get things done. You know, we like to go change things. And grief says, don't climb the mountain right now. Stop and feel this. And it's no energy there. It's no movement. And we don't like that. But if we allow ourselves to have the grief and say, I need to talk to somebody and just let them know I'm sad about that business opportunity or that disenfranchised child or this marriage thing, and I just need to process my tears, it goes away. If it doesn't, it never leaves. Grief is a temporary thing. When Henry Cloud and I wrote, God Will Make a Way, we say that grief is the pain that cures most other pains. In psychological, emotional circles, the end of the therapy process is generally grieving well and grieving healthily, and then you're free. You're free. You do feel set free. You feel set free. Yeah, I have experienced that. Let me um, move to a clip that we have of kind of rebuilding relationship, the need to do that. I mean, again, it definitely includes forgiveness, but let's listen to this clip and have you respond to it. Hi, Dr. Townsend. My name is Kelly. And I've been estranged from my daughter on and off over the years. We've recently reconciled. And uh, my question for you is, how can you move forward to a place of trust? It doesn't cross the boundaries of what you're willing to accept. In other words, how do I ease the feeling of not always walking on eggshells and also comfort with opening my heart and not feeling hurt again. Well, there's a lot in that question. There's a lot in that question and all too common. Mm. Y'all get those letters. I get those letters. And I want to kind of make a simple process so that it's easy to follow. And, but first I want to say, here's what not to do. Don't continue walking on eggshells by trying to read her mind, mm. by thinking, 
uh, can I say this? Is this okay? Is this not okay? Because we can't read their mind. You might trigger something, and then there's a big blow up. So it's a conversation you have with your daughter or with anybody that has uh, someone that's back in the relationship, but it still feels fragile. And you say, I'm so glad we're reconnected, and I want it to stay this way. I need some ground rules from you, and I've got some too. Some ground rules on what's okay and what's not okay. Go there, don't go there. And I've got a few too. And as the older adult, always have less than they have, <laughs> right. right? That's called wisdom. It's called wisdom. And so they might say, well, I don't like it when you tell me to go to church. You say, okay, I told you once. I do believe it. I'm done with that. And then all of a sudden you say, what else? And what do you want me to do? Well, ask me how I'm doing my pet. Well, I'll do that or whatever. And now you've had the conversation. And when you have the conversation, there's a, when you say it, it always makes it less intense. When it keeps in your head, it gets crazier because we're built for a relationship. So now the adult child goes, hey, we had the talk. And now they know clearly what's okay with me and what's not. Make them part of the process. Yeah, mm. that is really good, and it helps. John, let me, uh, for the sake of that person who's going, you know what, I read boundaries, I applied it to my adult child, uh, it's been a while, we have not reconciled, I'm actually going through the process of grieving the loss of the relationship, and I don't know if it'll ever come back. And Maybe they're not even talking to each other. And then there's the second one where we're still engaged, but man, it's fireworks, it's fireworks. all the time, and it's not healthy. And so address those two environments. Well, let's go with the first one, the estrangement. I always tell people, they say, well, I read the book and I've done everything. I said, I wrote it and I haven't done everything. So, <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> read it again. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, as we grow, we're like the onion skin. We, yeah, we get deeper and deeper and we'll say, oh, I forgot this. Or maybe I was too harsh there or I preached there or I wasn't consistent there. Go through it again, especially the 10 laws. And you'll pick up something you can do better. But let's suppose you're that one human being that I've never met that's done everything <laughs> and you really feel good about it and you've gotten feedback from your pastor and your friends and your counselors. Then that's when I would say on a regular basis, it might be once a quarter, send him that email, letter, text, and just say, I love you. Just want to let you know that I was thinking about you. Well, what's important there is don't give up. Yes. Don't give up. Don't give up. God always reminds us I'm still here. Okay, that's good. That's good advice. And because there's always hope. Well, and the hope is if their life is really upside down, the things you're concerned about, guess what? They're going to suffer. Let's read Luke 15, the prodigal son. Well, the father, you don't have any passages where it says, and the father, you know, reminded him of all his sins, and the father went and visited him, and the father said, I'm going to set up. You don't hear about the father until the boy is in the pig pen. And he didn't like his life. And if they're living that kind of life, it's supposed to have bad fruit because it doesn't work according to God's principles. And you're just checking every now and then, thinking about you, love you. Then they go, I don't like being lonely or not functioning or not having a good job. And they're nice to me. And your chances are better. They'll come back. And then what about the one you're still engaged with? You're having pretty regular interaction with, but it seems to always be the fireworks. Yeah. And there's a lot we can do about that because we can say... Look, we've had these talks about values or money or if I'm right or whatever, and I want to kind of put it to bed and say either I'm going to change my opinion here or you change your opinion here or we lovingly agree to disagree and have a great game of pickleball. There's, <laughs> there's room for that for adults. So you do what you can to say, I don't want that. The other thing, though, is if you're getting attacked by your adult child, and some parents who are kind of guilt-ridden will say, oh, I deserve it. I wasn't there for them, so I'm just going to let, I'm going to hear it and hear it and hear it. Everybody should have their day on court. And my kids have had to do that with me. 
but not forever. And it comes a part where you say, I've heard it, I understand it, I've changed what I'm going to change, and it's really kind of getting bad, and you have to set a limit on that. Yeah. There have to be times when you don't take toxic, assaultive behavior after a while. You're not doing anybody any good. John, right at the end here, obviously uh, the key to probably all this, you would agree, is how we take this to the Lord as Christians, as believers. And some people may not have that relationship with the Lord, and I understand that. I'd love to see that change. But for those that are listening that do call upon the Lord as their Savior, how do we, with you know the right attitude, how do we go to the Lord and say, help me? Yeah. You know, I always go to Psalm 37. It says that he'll give you the desires of your heart if you follow him. I think what God always calls us to do is to say, like you said, help. I've always found that it's not until we're at the end of ourselves that he begins. And he kind of wants us to get to the end of our rope because then we go into a position of dependent, childlike faith. And so if you feel like you're being too much of a demand on God, he's got big shoulders. So go with the pain Go with the sorrow, go with the losses, go with the helpless and say, I need an answer, I need your Holy Spirit, I need something from the Bible, I need a good person. And that's where God shows up. You know, for a person that hasn't had that regular communication, prayer to the Lord can be a little uncomfortable for people. Uh, What would you recommend to that person? How do you open up to God that really is helping you? Yeah, I have friends like that that kind of go, how do I do this church talk? I haven't done the church thing in a while. Yeah, we have a whole language, don't we? Right. And I say, um, talk to him like you would talk to somebody that was safe, some adult, some wise person that was very safe, because he's the model for that. And just say, don't edit yourself. Just come out with what it is. And I always tell people, read David in the Psalms. He didn't edit. You know, he's going, God, I'm the king, but I'm living in a cave because the other guy's out to get me. Are you even there? He didn't edit. And God can handle the way you communicate. Mm -hmm. Well, that's so true. And again, what a great encouragement to go to the Lord. First and foremost, everything we've talked about today Mm -hmm. and last time kind of sits on that uh, truth that Mm -hmm. that God cares for you. And I love that scripture that he's close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. And that's how we feel about these relationships. Uh, John, wonderful content. Thank you for sharing your heart, your wisdom with us through Focus on the Family. And I hope you, as the listener, are feeling it. I mean, uh, John is speaking right to a majority of people who struggle in relationships. You want a way out of this? Get a copy of Boundaries. It's right there. It's easy to understand but difficult to put into play, but not impossible. And so we want to encourage you to get in touch with us. Make a gift of any amount to focus on the family, and we'll send you a copy of the book as our way of saying thank you and joining us with ministry. Once again, get your copy of Boundaries, uh, updated and expanded, when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or you can donate and get the book at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. 